God's doing some incredible things here at Big Valley Grace, and, and I'm glad that, um, you know, we're involved in incredible ministries, touching the lives of the broken that are out there. Our Good Samaritan ministry uh, serves food and bills and all that. 200 new families every month we help here at Big Valley Grace, and the overwhelming majority of them, man, they don't know the Lord. They're just human beings that God died for. They were made in the very image of Christ, and we have a responsibility to help meet their needs. And it's amazing how many people come to faith in Christ out there. Oliviana's Closet, some of you have never been in it. We actually have, have a little store here. And for those single moms that are out there that made the choice to hold on to their babies, and man, they can come out there, and we've got all kinds of clothes and stuff that we can be a blessing to them. And the overwhelming majority of the people that we help there, once again, they're not from our church. They don't know the Lord. They just know there's a place, there's a group here that will help them. And, and man, we get to tell them about, about Jesus there because we're meeting a real felt need in their lives. You know, there's an old saying out there that, man, some people can become so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. And unfortunately, I think that's a lot of Christians. They're so heavenly minded they become of no earthly good. And I, I don't want that to be the case for those of you that call Big Valley Grace your home, God called us to go out and do good things. Not that those good things save us, but we're to do those good things that our good deeds would bring honor and glory to the Father. And I want us as a family out there being the hands and feet of, 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 of Christ. And so I'm just grateful for all of the, those that serve and get out there and do those those things that bring honor and glory to God. Thank you. Well, look, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace in, entitled Devoted, where we've been exploring what God's Word has to say about marriage. And we kicked it off uh, two weeks ago by looking at God's original blueprint for marriage, which is found in Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, all those verses are in your notes and they'll be on the jumbotrons, okay? Beloved, those 23 words lay out the foundation for a good marriage. God says that when you get married, when you say, I do, there are some things that you have to let go of and there are some things you have to hold on to if you want to have the kind of exciting, fulfilling, happy marriage that God wants you to have. Then last week we looked at how to prepare for some of the storms that, that will come into your life, your marriage, and, and try to mess it, mess it all up. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the floods rose, and the winds blew against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And Jesus is telling you that the key to a strong house is to make sure it has the right foundation. That way when the rains come and the flood waters rise and the winds blow, your house will still be standing when it's all said and done. Now, you may need to replace a window, you may have a door to replace, you may have to redo some landscaping, but the house will still be there. And the same thing is true in your marriage. You've got to be prepared for the inevitable storms that are going to come. You've got to have the right foundation. Otherwise, when they do come, and they will come, they're just going to you know, sweep you off your feet, and your marriage is going to, going to crumble. Now, today we're going to talk about the power that God makes available to you in three important areas. But before I get into this, I want to quickly answer a couple of really good questions that I've received. Um, 
In this series, like most series, I, I literally get hundreds of emails every week, and I am getting emails of, of God doing absolute miracles here. Miracles are happening. We serve a God who does miracles, and he's doing them in our midst. I'm getting emails about couples who literally divorce was just a signature away, and they showed up here, and they decided they weren't going to do that. They literally have gone into the altar room and allowed the spiritual leaders of our church to pray for them, and something has happened. The Bible says that the prayers of a, of a righteous man availeth much. We're seeing God do some incredible things here. The Holy Spirit is moving in, in, in powerful ways, but also in the midst of hearing some of these great stories, I'm getting some really wonderful questions. And the first question I want to answer is this, is there ever a time when you think it's okay for someone to divorce? And that's a great question. Number one, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the elders think. It doesn't matter what your therapist thinks. It doesn't matter what your parents think. It only matters what God thinks. That's what matters. And God said this in Malachi chapter 2. He said, I hate divorce. There's not a lot of places in Scripture where you read that phrase where God says he hates something. But he says, I hate divorce. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So guard your heart. Don't be unfaithful to your wife. Beloved, God hates divorce. And because God hates divorce, I hate divorce. I have to. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And those of you that name the name of Christ, you're a follower of his. And to be a follower of his means this is the thing we base our life on. And if God hates it, then we have to hate it. Some of you, you know, bless your souls, I get these emails and man, you're all riled up about divorce. I am. I hate it because God hates it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Jesus, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Listen to me, it's serious business when you get in between a husband and a wife. When God brings together a husband and a wife, when they cleave together, God knows when you get in between them. It's serious to God. Anybody who would get in between a husband and a wife and somehow mess up their marriage. But he goes on. Then why did Moses say in the law, these Pharisees asked, that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, well, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not that way, uh, not originally what God had intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and remarries someone else commits adultery unless 
His wife, his spouse has, committed, has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, man, if this is the case, man, it's just better not to marry. Beloved, according to Jesus, when infidelity occurs in the marriage, that's the only time when God permits divorce. And even then, because God hates divorce, it has to be the last option. You see, the marriage bed is such an, uh, an incredible thing that when a husband or a wife has an, a, an affair, and that marriage bed has been violated, it's then and only then that God says, okay, the trust has been so violated that I'll allow a, a divorce. But even then, it's the last option. Um, we'll, we'll have 4,000 people here this weekend. I know a lot of the stories in here. I know many of you, there was infidelity in your marriage. And because you hate divorce, because God hated divorce, because you were committed to your marriage, you know what you did? You worked it out. And you have an incredible story to this day. This church is filled with those kinds of stories. Well, Pastor Rick, what what about if your spouse is abusive? Does God expect you to stay with someone that's abusive? And the answer is no. God would never want you to live with a man or a woman that's abusive. In fact, whenever a person comes into my office or any office or meets with an elder, and and, hey, my, my husband's abusive to me, we would never say, well, you need to gut it out. No, we would immediately say, you know what, you need to get out of the house, or your spouse needs to get out of the house, you need to move back in with your mother, you need to find a place, you need to go to the woman's shelter, whatever it might be. Because God would never want you to be in an abusive situation like that. But there's a huge difference between separating and divorcing. Huge difference. And it's when the separation takes place that hopefully both couples are willing to work on some of those issues. And once again, this church is filled with incredible stories where there was abuse going on. And the counsel was to get out of that. And you began to work on your marriage, your life, those things, whatever they may have been. And then you came back together and your marriage is unbelievable. There are many times when a married couple needs to separate, but according to Jesus, and we're all followers of Jesus, those of us that name his name, right? Only infidelity is accepted as divorce. Now, let me tell you why the disciples said if this is the case, then it's just better off not to marry. The culture then was much like the culture it is now. People at that time were getting divorced for whatever reason. In fact, the rabbis would stand in the synagogues and tell people, it's okay to divorce literally for any reason. It sounds like America today, doesn't it? There are Christian preachers, there are Christian counselors, there are pastors out there. You've got Christian friends who will tell you, yeah, man, who cares, just divorce. That's why the divorce rate in the church is just skyrocketing. And so Jesus shows up and says, hey, let me tell you, here's here's the real deal. Except for infidelity, no divorce. (laughs) And that was a radical statement. That's why the guys go, dude, 
If that's the case, maybe it's just better off not to marry. The Bible says you don't enter into a vow lightly. And so I stand up here over the last couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you some radical stuff, aren't I? All I'm trying to do is tell you what the Word of God says. That's all. And then you before God have to do whatever it is you're going to do. Now, the good news is, is that you're at a place that understands grace. We understand that people blow it and make mistakes and do all that. Tuesday nights here, there's 500 people that come down here for Celebrate Recovery. We understand that people mess up. That's what the cross is about. And you've come to a place where we're going to love you and care about you and, 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 and nurse you back to health, so to speak. But sometimes when you're the preacher, you have to stand up here and preach truth. And guess what? Sometimes that hurts. And sometimes you feel like, dude, the guy's beating me up because maybe you have a divorce or two or six. Look, I can't do anything about your past. Like I told you, I can't do anything about it, neither can you. All I want to do is maybe, maybe give you some truth now so that this one or whatever it is, if you're single, the next one really is going to be based upon what the scriptures say, that you go into it with the right knowledge. Does that make sense? So I don't mean to beat people up and, man, you make me feel bad. I've been divorced, well, I'm sorry. But maybe I'm going to spare somebody else the heartache because I'm just simply telling them the truth. You're loved and you're, we want you to be here. So with all this said, I want to get into today's message, okay? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said this. He said, make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Beloved, this is exactly what God wants for your marriage. God wanted this for his church. Obviously, that's who Paul's writing to. But it makes sense that you and your spouse would be like-minded. God wants you and your spouse to have the same love. God wants you and your spouse to be one in spirit and one in purpose. And here's the good news. God wants to give you the power to pull it off, which is exactly what we're going to talk about here today. I want you to listen to these incredible words that are recorded in Matthew chapter 28. They'll come up on the jumbotrons because I know not everybody has a Bible. The scripture says this. This is a, a familiar text, especially if you only come to church at Christmas and Easter. The Bible says early on Sunday morning, verse 1, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb where Jesus was buried. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and he sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead just as he said it would happen. Beloved, there is no doubt in my mind that that is the most powerful um, event in human history. Everything else compares in comparison to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I just read was, was just weighty stuff. Everything else pales in comparison in terms of power. 
But what does this event, the resurrection, have to do with you? What does the resurrection have to do with your marriage today? Well, I want you to know I believe it has everything to do with you in your marriage today. In Ephesians chapter 1, which was at the top of the notes, it says this. This is Paul's prayer for all of us. He says this. He says, I have not, in verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you. I always remember you in my prayers, asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. I pray also that you will have greater understanding in your heart so you will know the hope to which he has called us and that you will know how rich and glorious are the blessings God has promised to his holy people. And you will know that God's power is very great for us who believe. That power is the same as the great strength God used to raise Christ from the dead and put him at his right side in the heavenly world. Here's my point in this message. The same power that God used at Easter to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he makes available to you to help change your life or to help change your marriage. Beloved, if, if Christianity, if a relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't work in your life, if it doesn't work in your marriage, then what good is it? So what the Holy Spirit of God indwells you? If it doesn't make a difference in your life, if it doesn't make a difference in your marriage, then what good is it? Paul's prayer in Ephesians was that you would really get it. That you would understand the power that you have within you. The power that actually raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the reason why he prays that is because too many believers, they don't get it. They don't get it. Now I want you to know that all relationships have the same basic Stress points, I want to give you three of them, okay? Stress point number one, unexpected differences. You find out that you and your spouse, as soon as you say, I do, are more different than you, than you thought they were. Stress point number two, unmet needs. You and your spouse bring needs into your marriage, and when they're not met, it can cause stress, okay? And stress point number three, unforgiven mistakes. When you hold on to hurts and mistakes, when you're not willing to forgive, let me tell you something, that causes stress in a relationship. But here's the cool thing. The power that God used to raise Jesus from the grave, he makes available to you through the Holy Spirit that indwells you to help you in these three areas, these three stress points. And I've preached on this before, but I'm gonna go through them again. Number one, the power that Raise Jesus from the dead is available to you to help you better understand those differences between your spouse. That first stress point. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Christian, that power is available to you to help you better understand those differences between you and your spouse. Listen to what James said. James said in chapter 1, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. 
In fact, he won't rebuke you for asking. And here's the deal. I wonder how many of you spend time asking God for wisdom that you might better understand your spouse. I know we're all running from Bible study to Bible study, and man, thank God for that. I know we all have our iPods, you know, filled up with all the latest and greatest uh, uh, podcasts from all your favorite preachers. I know, you know, you got K-Love on your radio and you got all your great worship CDs. But I wonder how many of you, you know, close your Bibles. Boy, that sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? You turn off your, your favorite preacher in your ears. And you just get alone with God and say, God, help me. I need wisdom. Help me to better understand my spouse. You know, when your spouse was inside their mother's womb, God put them together. God knows all the things that make them happy. God knows all the things that make them sad. God knows the things that get them all pumped and excited. God knows the things that causes them angst. How much time, guys, do you just stop and say, you know what, I just need to be alone with the Lord. And you turn off your phone, your pager, your portable fax machine, your pacemaker, whatever it is, and you say, I am just going to be with the Lord, the one who created my spouse, and I'm simply going to ask God for wisdom that I might better understand her. Ladies, I wonder how often you do that. One of the complaints I hear all the time from men is, I just don't understand my wife. She doesn't make any sense. I can't figure her out. I don't know why she acts the way she does. Welcome to the club. I, you know, like, like I have some you know, insight I'm going to give you about your wife. I'm, I've got my own. I got... Beloved, before you and your spouse got married, all you could see was how alike you were. Remember that? You're dating and you're engaged. Oh, man. Oh. Oh. And then you said, I do. And all of a sudden, man, all you can see is all the differences. If you're like most couples, one of you is an early riser and one of you is a night owl. One of you is daring and impulsive. The other is cautious and reserved. One of you says, I play by the rules. The other says, rules what rules? One of you loves to talk. One of you is a silent type. One of you loves to spend money. The other is a tightwad, you know? One of you loves to cuddle and snuggle. The other is like a, a porcupine, right? <laughs> when it comes to sex, God made you different. Did you hear about the guy who went home and handed his wife two aspirin? And she asked, well, what's this for? And he said, well, this is for your headache. And she said, well, I don't have a headache. And he said, gotcha! <laughs> That's not right. That's not right. <laughs> Did you hear about the guy who bought a, a waterbed? Ever since he bought it, they've been drifting apart. <laughs> you know, I, gotta, that's the, <laughs> I don't know how that made it in here. Gotta, El, Rob, I want you editing this from now on, okay? I want you to look at this thing here. Beloved, differences aren't wrong. They're just different. That's all. For some of you, that might, that might be the most important thing you hear. Differences aren't wrong. Your spouse is different. And that doesn't make them wrong. It just means you're different. And maturity is when you realize that differences don't mean right or wrong. It just means that you're different. 
Our brother Peter penned these word, <clears throat> words. He says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge. One version says, you husbands should try to understand the wife you live with. Peter says, try. It takes great skill and effort to understand how God made your spouse. And the differences. Men and women are inherently different in thousands of ways. We're different biologically. Every cell in a man's body is different from every cell in a woman's body, genetically, by X and Y chromosomes. Women tend to, you know, mature faster. They usually have a slower metabolism than men. We're different. We're different behaviorally. We think differently. Men assume that women think like men, and women assume that, you know, women think like, you know, men think like women. But that's not true. We think differently. What a man says tends to reflect what he thinks. What a woman says tends to reflect what she feels. We're different. We're different in background. Not only is every woman different from every man, but every woman is different from every other woman. And every man is different from every other man. We're all unique, so it's no wonder we don't understand each other at times. Proverbs 24 says, it takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. It takes knowledge to fill a home with rare and beautiful treasures. And God says, listen, I've given you my Holy Spirit. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you to help you better understand those differences. Now, how do you know when you have wisdom and understanding in your marriage? Well, let me give you three things. Number one, you're patient with your spouse. You show me somebody who's not patient with their spouse, and I'll show you somebody who doesn't understand the differences. They're just not mature in the Lord. Number two, you don't compare your spouse with someone else. When things, when you see that your spouse is different than you in some area, you don't, you know, well, man, uh, Joe's wife, you know, she really gets it. And number three, you understand and are okay with the differences between you and your spouse. Now, here's the weird part. You don't have what it takes to understand your spouse. You don't have the wisdom to even begin to understand the differences between you and your spouse. You don't. So what do you do? How, how can you understand your spouse? Well, James said, if you need wisdom, ask God. <laughs> you know, this book wasn't written to trick anybody. God's will isn't hidden under a bush or in a cave. God says, do you need some wisdom? Why don't you ask me? I'll give you the wisdom you need. I'll give it to you. I've discovered that the more I pray and study God's word, the better I understand Aaron, my, my wife. Why? Because nobody knows her better than God. God created her and made her to be my wife. God created Aaron to be my wife. And God created me to be her husband. So doesn't it make sense that I would spend time with the God who created her? and made her for me, and say, help me, God? That makes sense, doesn't it? But too many people, too many Christians don't do that. Here's the bottom line. 
God wants you to have a rich and satisfying marriage. And one of the ways you accomplish that is by understanding the differences between you and your spouse. And God wants to give you the power to fathom those differences. In fact, he's longing to do that. Uh, Number two, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to help you better fulfill the needs of your spouse. That was that second stress point that every relationship has, okay? God's power is available to help you better fulfill the needs of your spouse. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. And beloved, yes, this is about sex, but your spouse has many more needs than just sex that needs to be fulfilled. And God wants to give you the power to fulfill them. Now, now guys, let me help you out here for just a moment, okay? What, what are some of your wife's needs? Guys, get your pencils out, okay? Number one, I'll give you five of them. Number one, your wife needs your affection. Number two, your wife needs conversation with you. Number three, your wife needs openness and honesty with you. Number four, your wife needs financial security and support from you. And your wife will understand if, you know, this economy has, you know, chopped that out from under his knees. Number five, your wife needs your commitment to the family. And men, it's your responsibility to satisfy each of these needs because if you don't, your marriage is just going to be in trouble. Now, guys, you need to understand that your wife wants you to fulfill these needs without them having to tell you what they are. So thank God you're here today. Because I just told you. And I know that a huge percentage of you are hearing from the Lord right now, and you've written those down, and you're going to make some adjustments. But I also know, I've done this long enough, that some of you are here, and you're going to walk out the door, be the first one at Marie Callender's to eat your lunch, and this will mean nothing to you. How tragic. How tragic. But that's just the way it is. I've done this long enough to know. And I don't know what group you're in, guys. But God brought you here and you just heard from the Lord. Listen to me very carefully, men. Meeting your wife's needs is a skill that doesn't come automatically. You've got to learn how to do it. Now, now ladies, sometimes, you know, we men just don't get it. We're on different wavelengths. So you need to be patient with us. Remember, some of your men have just heard it. I just gave them five things and they've just heard it, so be patient with them. It's one of the signs of maturity. You know, give, them, give them a minute. There's a lot to take in. And ladies, it's just important for you to know the needs of your husband and learn how to meet those. Listen, husbands, wives, you've got to learn how to meet the needs of your mate. It just doesn't happen. You've got to put some effort into it, okay? You got to try. Now, I think about 80% of the problems in marriage would be solved with this next verse. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2, spouses, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in your other spouse. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had 
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born in human form. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The word of God says, listen, don't just look after your own needs, guys. Ladies, don't just look after your own needs. You're to look at the needs of your spouse. Put their needs ahead of your own. And then Paul goes on through inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, look, it, here's how it's supposed to work. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity are in, are in perfect harmony and unity and love in the heavenlies. They don't need you. You don't add anything to their lives. Nothing. But you had a need. You needed a Savior. So Jesus Christ leaves that incredible fellowship and he comes here, he puts your need ahead of his own. He humbles himself and becomes a man because you had a need. And the Bible says that's how, you know, that's the attitude you're to have, guys. Ladies, that's the attitude you're to have. You're to put your spouse's needs ahead of your own. You know, I, I said I think about 80% of the problems in marriage would be solved with that passage if people really took that to heart, and that's wrong. I'll bet 99.9% .9 of all the problems in marriages would be solved if every man were to just to look at that and say, God, help me in that. Help me to look at the needs of my wife ahead of my own. And every gal was to say, I'm going to look at the needs of my man ahead of my own. If the man and the wife said, man, I, I'm going to use the example of Jesus Christ who humbled himself and put my need ahead of his own and came here and humbled himself to the point of, of death, death on a cross. Let me tell you something. We wouldn't do the volume of marriage counseling that we do here, and we do a lot of it, if people really took that passage to heart. You see, the root problem in most marriages, if you cut to the chase, is selfishness. Serve me and my needs and forget about yours, you know. I mean, we live in a culture that says I got to do what's best for me. I got to look out for numero uno. And I talked a lot about that last week, didn't I? Beloved, often in a marriage and in life, you got to do things that aren't necessarily best for you, but they're best for others. Your wife, your kids, your church. Let me tell you, today... Um, I, I don't lay brick and I don't build a house. I, I, my vocation that God has called me to, uh, I, I don't get tired physically. I don't do you know, physical labor. But by the time I leave here today, I will be exhausted mentally. I'll be exhausted spiritually. There's a, a spiritual war that just goes on. I will be drained um, you know, in, in, in other ways. If you include last night and all that will happen here. And when I get home, about two o'clock or so, my wife always has some food ready because I, I can't eat before I preach and so I haven't eaten anything. And I'll get home, my wife will always have something made for me and I'm kind of a zombie. Physically I'm okay. 
It's just that I've exerted so much juice, prayer, that spiritual warfare. And what I want to do is eat and then fall on my bed and drool. <laughs> and I do. It's a, my naps on Sunday, I drool. I, I have dreams you wouldn't believe because I'm just so exhausted. But every so often, I'll walk in the house, and it just in a nanosecond, I go, uh-oh, problem. Houston, we got a problem. And my wife will say, hey, listen, I got a sandwich made for you, but this has come up, and I got to go here, and I, I need for you to maybe take Cade. Now, in my brain, I'm going, what? I have a need. I need to eat and, and just crash. But I can see that, that there's another need. My wife has a need at this moment. My children have a need. And I got a choice at that moment. I'm going to look after me and my need. Or I'm going to put the need of my wife, the needs of my kids, ahead of mine. That happens to all of us, doesn't it? And I wish I could tell you, as your pastor, that boy, uh, man, I'm batting a thousand. I handle that right every single time it goes down. I don't. And this side of glory, I'm going to fumble. This side of glory, I'm often have to go to my wife and say, man, I'm so sorry about what happened an hour ago. Would you forgive me? I was not an example of Jesus Christ to you. Sorry. Now, this selfish attitude is not only a cultural thing, but it's also in our very nature as human beings. I mean, if I were to take a picture of all of you, you know, I don't know, 1,500 people in here, and I took a picture, and then I handed that picture out to everybody, you know what the first thing you'd do is? You'd be looking for you. <laughs> and as long as you look good, woo! picture's great. The guy next to you, his hair can be all messed up, something hanging out of his teeth. You don't care. As long as you look good, great. I took kids to Hume Lake for years here, and on Friday, they would get their pictures. They'd take a camp picture, and there'd be thousands of kids in the picture, and they'd hand those pictures out, you know, on Friday, and all the kids would get them, and immediately, they'd start looking for them. Isn't that weird? Selfishness is just a part of our DNA. It's a part of the old man, the old nature, the Adamic nature, whatever word you, you want to put on it. So not only is it a cultural thing, it's just a part of us. So here's the question. Where do you find the energy and the power to meet the needs of your spouse, especially when you're wore out? Well, the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2. Dear friends, Paul says, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He's giving you the power and what pleases Him. It pleases Him when you put others ahead of yourself. It pleases Him to put, when you put your spouse ahead of Him. It pleases Him when you have the attitude of Christ. And he's going to give you the power to pull that off. He'll give you the power. Listen, whatever God asks you to do, like meeting the needs of your spouse, he's going to empower you to do. That's why you need him. Look, it takes three people to make a marriage work. A husband, a wife, and Jesus. 
And you take away Jesus and you got all kinds of problems. One of the reasons the divorce rate is so high among American Christians is because they've disconnected themselves from the ultimate power source. God's not at the center of their lives. Yes, God is a part of their lives, but he's not at the center, the core of their lives. And there's a big difference between having Jesus as a part of your life and Jesus is at the core of your life. And when he's at the core of your life. Wow, that's when you can tap into that power. Listen, God wants to help you and empower you to better love your spouse and meet their needs. And the, That's good news because human love wears out. There are times when I, I run dry with my love. There are times when I'm out of juice. There are times when I'm fatigued and I, I just want to be alone. I don't want to be around anybody. I've got nothing to give. But at that point in my life, I've got to say, God, your power never runs dry. Your love never runs dry. God, please love Aaron through me. But it's a, a conscious moment for me. I'm out of juice. I got nothing. But my wife needs me. My wife needs my love. My kids need me. They need my love, and I'm out. I'm out. I'm human. But I got a power source in me. That ain't human. And it's when I say, oh God, I'm out, I'm out of juice. But my wife needs me right now, my kids need me, my church family needs me, somebody, God please, I wanna tap into that power. Would you love my wife through me right now? Would you love my kids through me right now? Help me, God. Philippians four says I can do everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And number three, and we'll do this very quickly, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to help you better forgive the mistakes of your spouse. That's that third stress point. In Colossians, listen to this. Just, just take a deep breath. Okay? I don't want you to miss this. Just listen to these words. God fills our brother Paul and he pins these words. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close yourself with tender-hearted mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make a, allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. I wonder how many of you know the two laws of reality. I want to give them to you. Reality number one, you married an imperfect person. Now some of you are going, Paul, there's a news flash. <laughs> what are we paying that guy? It's the second reality that some of you miss, and that is this. Reality two, you're not so hot yourself. <laughs> That's offensive. He obviously doesn't know me. That's just the two laws of reality. Only one person lived a perfect life, that was Jesus Christ. That means you're out. You married an imperfect person. And you're not so hot yourself. And guess what? When two imperfect people come together, there are going to be times, a lot of times, when you're going to hurt each other. Sometimes you hurt each other unintentionally, and sometimes you hurt each other intentionally. It's on purpose. You see, we're human. Now, most of the time, it's unintentional. And at that moment, 
when you hurt each other, you, you, got, you got one of two options. And that's this. You can rub it in. When your spouse hurts you, you can just let them have it. Rub it in. Or you can rub it out. Somebody hurts you. Your spouse says something, does something that hurts you. Man, you can rub it in, man. Or you can rub it out. Now let me ask you a question. Which of those two do you think will strengthen your marriage? I don't need to answer it, do I? Beloved, unforgiveness just kills a marriage. That's why God's word says, please make allowances for each other's faults. Each other's. Both of you have faults. I know for some of you it's hard to believe that you actually have a fault. Some of you have a spouse that's made some major mistake. Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was last week, maybe it was last month, maybe it was years ago, and you've never let them off the hook, and it's killing your marriage, which means you're now the one who's killing your marriage. Your spouse did something to you, and you won't let them off the hook, you won't offer forgiveness. It's messing up your marriage, which means you're now the one who's messing up your marriage. You become an unpleasable person no matter what good or kind or romantic thing your spouse does for you. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, wow, they owe it to me. And that attitude is just messing your marriage up. You've got to learn to let go of the hurts for the sake of your marriage. And the way you do that is this. If you want to know how you can be more forgiving, whenever I need to be more forgiving, I just remember how much God has forgiven me. No one will ever hurt me more than I've hurt the Lord. No one will ever disappoint me more than I've disappointed God. So here comes this moment when I'm supposed to forgive and I start remembering how much God forgave me and God kind of gets me into a corner. He corners me. Oh, you're not going to forgive, eh? And he begins to tell me, remind me, hey, look, let me tell you what I did for you. While you were yet a sinner, I came and died for you. I forgave you. And whatever your spouse did to you, Rick, pales in comparison to what you did to me. And I forgave you, and it's over and done with. Now, your marriage is probably in one of four categories. One, your marriage is fantastic. And I know some of you are there right now. And here's the deal. Maybe in just a moment, you need to go into the altar room and let the elders pray for you that, that it stays there. Because category two is your marriage is good. You know, it's stable, but it's maybe just in a rut. And you can easily go from category one to category two. In fact, oftentimes you'll vacillate between those. And if you're in that category, why don't you go in and let the elders pray for you. Let them lay hands on you and pray that God would take you out of that rut and bring you into a fantastic marriage. Carriage, uh, uh, category three, your marriage is hurting right now. There are some issues that need to be resolved. And if you're in that category, many of you can remember when your marriage was fantastic, right? You see why it's important to have people pray for you now 
when your marriage is fantastic? Every marriage starts fantastic. And maybe you need to go in and let the elders pray for If you're in the venue, we have an altar over there. And the spiritual leaders will be there to pray for you. Maybe you're in category four. Your marriage is barely hanging on. Maybe it's dead. And you need a miracle. You need God to resurrect your marriage. Maybe by faith, you'd go in and let us pray for you in the altar room. Maybe God is doing something in your life and you literally are a miracle waiting to happen. Well, but I want you to know that Big Valley Grace is committed to helping you have a strong marriage and strong family. The pastors of this church are committed to you. The elders of this church are committed to you. All of our counselors are committed to you. We want you to have a fantastic marriage. And the key for all of us is to keep pointing you towards the greatest power source known to mankind. The pastors, the elders, the counselors, the spiritual leaders, man, it is our privilege to point you towards the one who has the power to help you understand the differences that you and your wife have, to help you with these needs that maybe are unmet, whatever those issues might be. Some of you need to take advantage of that. I'm going to ask you all to stand, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to mix this up here. Scott, come on up. Uh, we did this last hour, and we may not have the words for you, but last hour we ended our service in a way that was just very cool. And Scott led us in the doxology, and it wasn't scheduled for right now. Most of you know it. We may not have the words on the jumbotron. But I'd like for us all to end by singing the, the doxology. Brother, lead us, man. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Pray for us, brother. Let's pray. Father, indeed, uh, this morning we praise you.